Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Hello, welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. This week on our agenda, we'll be talking about babies, and uh, not everybody knows if they want them. We'll also be discussing that terrible, 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 terrible number one Billboard song, and why Alessandra Stanley is really horrible, and Shonda Rhimes is the best human alive. We'll also be discussing the End Campus Rape Movement and Emma Solkowitz, and we'll have some updates about periods. Hi, Amina. How you doing? I'm doing great. I just ate a ton of this carrot tahini slaw, like probably too much. I made like party size and ate it all. California problems. But other than that, I'm great. I know. I made this like falafel sandwich with uh, lavash bread and I'm so happy. It was like falafel and every cucumber is just the, the best now that we have the food update lately i've also probably because i'm finally like home and in homebody mode been seized by an urge to text friends my current like eating watching status if i were a tech bro i would create an app for like what i'm eating and watching right now like white wine entourage cheetos i mean (laughs) i mean i think that's facebook right um tell me tell me what else is going on what did you write about this week People, ladies in particular, but also dudes who legit can't figure out if they want children. And my inbox is full of people being like, not outright, like, tell me what I should do because I did not claim to like know what anyone should do. But basically being like, oh, how does anyone know? Like, just like, just befuddled by how people can be so sure they do or don't want kids. Do they really Um, not want children or do they just think it's like not cool to have kids, but secretly they want them? Well, let me tell you, this woman I interviewed who has interviewed, in turn, has interviewed lots of women. So basically, like, rather than interview hundreds of women, I interviewed one woman who has interviewed hundreds of women. You're so efficient. And, I mean, or lazy. Um, she was like, uh, you know, in my experience, if you're on the fence, it probably means you don't want kids. And, like, you're just wrestling with intense social pressure that says you should want them. And you have taken to heart your older relatives please that you have children and you're just afraid that you're gonna die alone with no one to care for you she didn't say it like that but basically that's what she said (laughs) which is which is very different than the touchy-feely cheryl strayed look deep within your heart do some soul searching she was basically like yeah come to terms with the fact that you probably don't want them all that much 
that felt definitive, you know. I can't remember if that quote made the cut because I felt like part of the thing about everyone ambivalent I did talk to was that they didn't want anyone to tell them how they really felt. No, You know, like they weren't like, oh, I, I'm not looking for you to interpret my actions about yeah. what I really want. I just want to sit here and be confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Which, no. Like, fair enough. But yeah, no, that sounds about fair. My, my favorite comment or one of them was... Um, was from our our pal, internet pal, feminist writer, Kate Harding, who made a comment uh, along the lines of, I'm so glad I don't have a uterus anymore and it made the decision for me. I know. <laughs> you know, I saw I saw her say that and I just I'm like, I heart that so much because, uh, yeah, sometimes your body chooses for you. Truth. And also I've enjoyed the number of comments I've gotten from men because it's always hard for me to tell whether I just don't spend time talking to men about their feelings or whether men actually don't think about some of this <laughs> Who stuff. knows? Who knows? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You know, um, the thing about that whole conversation, I guess, for me, that's that I always come back to, like a couple of years ago, I watched this documentary at South by Southwest. Oh, God, I forget what it's called, but it's basically about a lady who does all the like high risk pregnancy documentaries on Discovery Channel. I wish you could see me crossing my legs right now when you said that. Oh, my God. I'm, like, obsessed with what I'm just, like, this is the best kind of birth control. But so, yeah, she did this whole, like, really great documentary on um, in vitro fertilization and followed four different women. And the thing about the whole, like, do I want babies, do I not want babies conversation that's always so shocking to me is how like people's definition of family is so narrow really what you're saying is do I want to poop out my own baby that's the holy grail of like womanhood and then all these people that have like IVF and are really ashamed of it or you know or lie about it or have surrogates and don't talk like all of this stuff and then and that stuff like costs so much money like having your own kids is really especially like when your body's not cooperating costs so 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 much money And then you have like adoption or all of these other ways that you can form your own family that are on the other end of the spectrum. But that are also expensive. Yeah, and you know that that are expensive, you know, like depending on where you live, to be fair, but nowhere near as mortgaging your house for IVF. But yeah, it's like if you want to go to Romania and get a baby, I'm sure that'll cost you a lot of money. That was really interesting to me, how it's just this really strong biological imperative Whereas, like, I feel very agnostic about it. I'm a very much, like, never say never kind of person. If I really want to have kids badly and, you know, I can afford it, I'll probably just, like, buy one, like, a purse. But I think that that's the lesson, right? There's no biological imperative. It's just, like, actual deep-seated personal desire. Whatever you might call a biological urge to reproduce is not that. No, totally. I can't wait till you can shop for babies by, like... IQ and hair color and like an online store bring the future I want that I'm a terrible person your dystopian baby shopping future can't it just like can't wait oh my god this goes back to our conversation about needing gay babies are we going to be able to pre-select for that I want a gay redhead smart baby and I don't and not just like book smart I want like a street smart baby like (laughs) you know like how do you screen for that 
I think that's like a post-birth thing that you instill, P.S. Like, I don't think they're born street smart. The street smart gene. I, you know, some people have it, some people don't have it. Have, have you ever met an infant that you've that you've definitively thought, this kid is street smart, when, like, it's too young to even walk? You know, I have this one little cousin. Every time I look at him, he's like, what, like two and a half, three? God, maybe four? Who knows? Child. <laughs> <laughs> but every, he always has this like permanent scowl on his face you know like somebody owes him money or something and i'm like you are going to be like a great old man because he's so fucking skeptical blue ivy over it face oh all the time we were going to call that ansplaining but i don't really have any ansplaining takeaways except that like newsflash some people don't know if they want babies <laughs> okay it's like babies. It's like the third rail for me. I just, I just, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> or rather, I just don't want to talk about it. I mean, um, every photo of you holding a baby, you're making the same face. I know, me and the baby, right? Like, we're both like, please don't drop me. And I'm like, please don't poop on me. Like, I, like, we're, we're so on it. The thing that There's I a lot do. Of fear. And have you ever seen, like, a baby being born? I mean, I went to Catholic school. They definitely showed us those. No, videos, like, like like IRL, like not in the video, life. like been. Oh my in god, the room. no, not IRL. Oh my god, no. I've seen two C sections and one like vaginal birth. Is that what they're called? Yes, yes. So the C sections are kind of totally impressive because they just like cut you open and they dig in there for it. And I was like, I'm so down for this. But vaginal birth is like never again. And I was in the room and like my aunt was crying and the nurse was like, isn't this beautiful? And I was like, I need a bucket. I'm going to throw up. This is the grossest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. (sighs) I don't really know what to say about that. And I don't think even if my sister had a baby, I'd be in the room. Let's be real. Don't worry. If by some accident I have a baby, you have to be there. I mean, obviously, I'll be the one vomiting into a bucket. I know, but it would it would have to be like some sort of like crazy fluke, like the government is forcing me to have a baby. Like it would have to be like extreme. I love how all scenarios involving babies in your world are immediately a dystopian future. You're like, I want to select my baby from a conveyor belt. I the only way I'm having one is if the government makes me have. Yeah, one. no, I mean, I really like. It's just it's not part of my like. You know, it's not part of my five-year plan. It's not part of my 10-year plan. Like, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe I'll just buy a cute baby. Um, Although, final word on this, I will say that one of the things that several experts said to me is that, like, most people don't age into making up their minds. And so if you are, like, a 25-year-old woman who has no clue if she wants kids or a 30-year-old woman who has no clue if she wants kids – it's a good thing to start thinking about before you're 37 and then deciding, oh, maybe I do because you're forced by like, you know, not wanting to pay for IVF to actually consider it. God bless the experts. I mean, thanks, experts. Oh, 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 oh,
<laughs> Amazing. Okay, we're done with baby talk. So I'm done just, with I'm that. I'm like crossing Please, my I mean legs. Explain something. Yeah, I'm like crossing my legs. Uh, let me tell you about one thing that's making me so angry today. Actually, it's been making me angry all summer, but I'm just like, ugh, get like cannot handle. So there is this song right now that is like a number. It's like the number one single in America. I know this because I subscribe to the Spotify Billboard um, playlist. What's up? <laughs> and is that how you stay in touch with the kids? The kids these days? I mean that it. I mean mostly the kids and Maroon Five. You know, that, <laughs> that's how I know what's going on at all times. But so it's by this like a woman named Megan Trainer. And the song is called All About That Bass. It's on the R&B. It's like supposed to be like an R&B pop single. No, it's like ska, pop. Like I, the video is deeply offensive to me because it's like all pastel macaroons. And so, but also it's like extra offensive because it masquerades as this like really body positive anthem. And, you know, it's like, hi. Where like, bass is a euphemism for, a, like, a big ass. Yeah, no, it's like, it's like, for, I hate lyrics that are nonsensical. Like, unless you're Kanye, like, you can't get away with that shit. And she's oh like. God, please do a dramatic uh, reading of her lyrics. The chorus is like, I'm all about that bass. I'm all about the bass. No treble. LOL. I'm going to, like, let that slide. But here are, like, the problematic lyrics. Yeah, it's pretty clear. I ain't no size two, but I can shake it, shake it like I'm supposed to because I got that boom boom that all the boys chase. Ah, mm. Like, no, 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 Megan Trainer, Absolutely not. Don't like make fun of smaller size ladies and then still like bring up the point that, you know, basically it's just all about the boys. <laughs> Don't try to ride the anaconda wave, like, and then hit on other types of bodies. Listen, white ladies have been trying to ride the anaconda wave all summer. I'm going to, like, in your free time, please look up the new J-Lo video and, like, die. But, yeah. And then, you know, the rest of the lyrics. I see the magazine work in that Photoshop. We know that shit ain't real. Come on now. Make it stop. If you got beauty building, just raise them up. Because every inch of you is perfect from the bottom to the top. So it's like, you know, ladies hear this shit and they go, oh, my God, like fat girls, let's all get together. And it's like, no, like anybody who tells you that they're like, quote, lyric bringing booty back, like you can't trust them. <laughs> this is the actual lyric. I'm bringing booty back. Go ahead and tell them skinny bitches that. No. Ugh. This is some anti-shine theory bullshit. No, it's like, so bad. And because, like, the video is so, like, pop, shiny, like, whatever. Everybody's like, this song is all about, like, loving your body and your booty. And, and no, it's, like, there's no such thing as, like, real bodies. Don't buy that shit. I'm going to quote our friend Jen Mizgata, who says, bodies are different. Yeah. <laughs> it is the thing that she always says when anyone is comparing their body to anyone else. Bodies are different, period. No, seriously. Like, don't be charmed by, like, songs with upbeat beats. It's bullcrap. But then the best thing happened. Like, clearly, I would, like, went down this rabbit hole. I was like, who the fuck is Megan Trainer? Like, find out. And oh, then... Investigative to- Google reporting. Yeah, I, I investigated this lady. And <laughs> let me tell you, I tweeted at her. I was so angry. She <laughs> told Billboard... I do not consider myself a feminist. And I was oh like, God. you know, I sound like one of those crazy people. Like, I'm angry at somebody on the radio, so I'm going to go find them and tweet at them. Not even on the radio, on the Billboard top tracks <laughs> list on Spotify. Yeah, let's no, be, let's she, be real. Listen, she's number one today. She just knocked Taste Whistle out of the charts. So this is like a big deal. 
And yeah, and she's like, I don't consider myself a feminist. And I was like, don't worry, Megan. Nobody was confused about the fact that you knew what <laughs> feminism was. Like, We don't no. consider you one either. It's okay. Ugh, I just, I hate fake body positivity. You have to see this video. It's like all these ladies in like baby doll 60s dresses. The whole thing looks like a like pastel macaron. Like, it's just gross. It's so the worst of middle school mean girls to be like, to feel good about ourselves, we're going to talk about how actually everything else is worse. No, totally. And also, it's like, you know, it's so easy to make fun of ladies that are size twos. But I'm like, you don't look like you're a size 16, 18 or 20 lady. Like if you want to play this game, you know, Oh well, that that's that's like the 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 game of calling anything over a size like too curvy. That's that's the game that she is playing. Ugh. But the truth is this, that a lot of, like, smart ladies on the internet have made this point. She's not a feminist because she's, like, a dumb-dumb. But the song is probably going to be, like, a really good gateway to feminism for, like, you know, I don't know, like, all these brand-new baby feminists. Ugh. I think that when I look back on things that um, I really liked in my formative pre-using-the-word-feminist but kind of feminist years, there's a lot of stuff that now I would be like, ugh, no. <laughs> But, you know, like, maybe if I'm also, like, really honest, the kind of thing that, like, just, like, ugh, really annoys me about this kind of person, you know, who's like, I'm not a feminist. And then, like, five years later, she's going to be like, I didn't know Maroon 5 was making more money than me on the Billboard charts. I'm a feminist now. (laughs) Is that, you know, they just, they always act that, like, feminism is, like, new relative to where their journey starts and it's like no like shut the fuck up like some of us have been here for a long time and you know if I'm really honest like that's what makes me really annoyed okay but like not not that I'm not that I'm defending the I'm not a feminist but but like honestly feminism feminism is relevant to wherever you are on your like personal journey like how comfortable you are with using that term totally depends on how much you know about like real life feminists no that's fair and i'm i hope that like in your personal life you make it seem that way you know but then they like publicly become these like oh my god like let's organize everybody here's this brand new idea i've had and i'm like uh i don't think so i think it's okay though like i think that there have to be people who are like here's this brand new idea i have like taylor swift talking about shine theory for things to spread (laughs) no i like i don't think those two things are the same thing I mean, I just wanted to comment about how we got there first. That's. <laughs> I mean, Anne, when have we not been there first? <laughs> God, I sound like such an asshole today. Um, it's not I mean, my fault. I don't have forks at my house. I'm, like, very annoyed. <laughs> I, you've been on an all-sandwich diet, which is apparently yeah. rage-inducing. <laughs> it's just, like, everything is rage, rage, rage. Because you know I'm all about the bass, about the bass. No treble. I'm all about the bass, about the bass. No treble. I'm all about the bass, about the bass. No treble. I'm all about the bass, about the bass. Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me. I mean, not to. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. 
Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Speaking of, like, another ragey thing, it's obviously, like, everybody else on the internet or who, like, reads the Sunday New York Times, you probably read the Shonda Rhimes article, or as our Jewish friends like to call it, Shonda's Shonda. (laughs) You mean the angry black woman article? Yeah, no, it was so, it was so ridiculous. One, you know, Alessandra Stanley, wrong on so many things. I thought that the New York Times public editor did a really serviceable job about like trying to get to the bottom of how this happened and things that are shocking about this article. It went through three different, like three editors looked at it, which what? (laughs) So I was like, I'm outraged about like a tight edit. This is crazy. The bottom line is, hi, there's like 20 culture critics at the New York Times and only one of them is a person of color. Maybe diversify your sources and you'll know that saying like angry black woman anywhere in an article about a black woman like no matter what like clever writing device you think you're using as our grad school friends say a little problematic i mean also this is about who gets to subvert a stereotype i think there are people who have a history of writing about the representation of women in culture who could very effectively write something that is about you know, how Shonda Rhimes actually subverts that stereotype. Like, I can totally see the piece. It is not this piece. It is not something that could ever be written by Alessandra Stanley or edited by three different, presumably white, we're not sure, culture editors at the New York Times. (laughs) It is just like, it's the wrong context for something like that anyway. It's one of those things where it's like, know your place. It's an appalling situation as well of being like, Oh, since I sat down with an interview for an interview with this person, I'm sort of like close enough now or people will just know it's winking. Isn't that isn't that what she said? Isn't that what she told? Yeah, but you know, but I guess like there's like two problems for me, right? That anger is very one dimensional when it comes to black women. And it is it's an offensive stereotype. Right. And she's like 100 percent aware of it. Like, that's the first problem. Right. And the second problem is that she makes it very personal. If she had actually interviewed Shonda Rhimes or she had, like, a quote about that, I think that that would have mitigated my, like, anger. But it's just so tone deaf. That's what Margaret Sullivan, the New York Times public editor, said. She was, like, astonishingly tone deaf and out of touch. I was like, yes, thank you. But what I think is really interesting is tone is one of those things that's used in all corners of journalism to to describe, like you know gut level feelings or like you know when people say tone deaf what they mean is it's wrong <laughs> like she did <laughs> she did something wrong and it's almost like this cover to be like oh you know when you say tone deaf it's like oh the substance of what she wrote was okay but the, the sort of the way she got at it was wrong actually no the substance of what she wrote was wrong and stupid 
it's funny because in talking about even good writing tone is used the same way like oh the tone was just spot on it's like well what do you mean like which words or like you know casual <laughs> conversation or using stereotypes in a certain way like I mean I don't know but just also say it's bad. yeah also just like for a tv writer I'm like do you actually watch scandal like do you actually watch Grey's Anatomy because the angry women on those shows are like the white women and you oh, know, the like angriest white women. Yeah, you know, like Melly's so angry all the time for good reasons. Um, <laughs> let's be clear, you know. But also like Meredith Grey, like always angry and fighting all the time. And you know, there it's like where is the like angry white lady stereotype? It's just so stupid, you know. And Shauna Rhimes like so accomplished, and in just like a couple of sentences, you just like kind of reduce her to nothing. And I was like, well, if Shonda Rhimes is nothing, then I'm kind of nothing. Like fuck you. Ugh. And the very fact that she had no idea that, like, that's what she... I mean, I honestly believe that she did not know that she was reducing Shonda Rhimes to nothing. Like, I honestly believe that... I know, like, Anne. That's, like, the definition yeah. of white privilege. Exactly. Exactly. And, like, a newsroom culture of, like, lots of people who aren't attuned to the real implications of using phrases like angry black woman. Ugh. Can I tell you my favorite thing that Shonda Rhimes has ever done, though? It's not even scandal. Please. Please. She wrote the uh, debut film for uh, pop star Britney Spears, a.k.a. Crossroads. Shut uh, the front door. 100%. Shonda Rhimes wrote Crossroads. Yes. And uh, I don't know how to tell you this. That's the movie that bought her house, fool. One of my favorite drinking games of all time is related to watching Crossroads. <laughs> what? Take a drink every time you see someone in cut-off denim. Take a drink every time Britney <laughs> sings for no reason. I have a whole, like... And it really hurts me that we've never talked about this before. I, I like, I have, like, a full-size Britney Spears poster from Crossroads. <laughs> oh, my God. I should have spent a little more time on Shonda's IMDb page. And don't even get me started on, like, calling Viola Davis, like, cl- like classically not beautiful. That's just racist. Oh, that's I mean. just like you just can't i'm like sorry no like the race police like we have decided like that is racist i think instead of amina explaining we should call your segment the race police oh my god you know i run the race police i know you <laughs> we, do we have meetings we have meetings every monday morning <laughs> I, I i take the minutes sometimes but when i'm allowed in <laughs> Listen, we haven't let a white person in the race police meeting <laughs> in decades. That was heavy. That was really heavy. Well, I'll tell you about like one more heavy thing, but it's kind of like it like it's okay. It's about um Emma Solkowitz, that woman that goes to Columbia who is doing the um the performance art piece where she's carrying her mattress to class mm-hmm. because she was raped in her college dorm room years ago and um and so like the mattress signifies that and that's what she's doing. So there've been some like there's been some like really good writing on this. My favorite, honestly, is this, like, New York Times um, piece about the actual performance by, like, Roberta Smith, who's my favorite art critic. You know, like, usually I'm, like, not down for performance art, um, but this is really touching. And there's this, like, fantastic picture. 
I got really emotional mushy about it the other day of, you know, like she's carrying the mattress to class and all these women are helping her carry it. And I was like, oh my God, campus rape, so much problems. I saw that picture as well and got the same full body chill. It's interesting because did you read the um, the New York Magazine piece about it, which is sort of about the the broader nation? I mean, it's focused on Columbia, which is where yeah. she goes to school, but it's focused on the on the national movement, and uh, it's it's interesting because I, I thought their portrayal of there's there are two um, activists in their early twenties who are the full time employees of End Rape on Campus, which yeah. is the then you know the nonprofit that is that is sort of coordinating a lot of these efforts and bringing um, Title IX lawsuits against these universities for not dealing with it, and I thought it was really interesting the way um, Vanessa Gregoriadis wrote the piece and the way she kind of characterized how savvy these women are, sort of being like, oh, you know, it's it's both about you know, a national story, but also there is these hyper-specific stories yeah. that, you know, that all matter, and here's how we tie them together. And I was loving it, because I'm like, this is so smart about how reporters actually put together stories and yeah. a way to actually get people to talk about it. And it seemed like um, Vanessa Gregoriadis was, like, a little bit skeptical of them for some reason. Like, she was kind of like, oh, they know they're really good at this, almost to the point where maybe she was feeling a little manipulated or something. I know, I right? Know. But the reason that they're good at it is because they're, like, under assault everywhere around the country, right? Like, one thing that I love about this end, you know, like, campus rape movement that's so great is that anytime, like, some old lady's like, what happened to, like, women protesting and, like, organizing and, you know, like, why don't the young women care? And I'm like, uh, they care. They're, like, on college campuses organizing all around the country. Right. The difference is you are not on college campuses, so you don't see it. I know. Oh, uh, can I tell you a really sad thing? There, um, somebody, I think it was on Feministing, yes, wrote up a, they, like, went to a dinner with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, spirit animal of this podcast. Mm -hmm. she was like do women know you know like do young women today like know how important roe v wade is like do they know the price that like women had to pay before them like why aren't they organizing and i was like what how do you think you get to be like a famous internet person if it wasn't for like young feminists hello who do you think is like anointing you cool ruth bader ginsburg do you think that some of that is just old person oblivion i mean like i i just read this book about the history of the birth control pill which quotes uh planned parenthood founder margaret sanger problematic also influential <laughs> so problematic. anyway um tabling that we can talk about that later but um but who who has some quote you know near near the end of her life like in the 60s early 60s maybe late 50s where she's like you know kids these days they don't know anything we fought for no i know it's funny because, like, when I'm reading this, and it, she's saying this in the late 50s, birth control isn't legal yet, abortion is years from being legal, she's, like, a straight-up racist, <laughs> eugenicist. <laughs> I'm kind of like... We talk like, about her I'm at like, race police meetings. It's cool. <laughs> I mean, but but my question when I read that quote is sort of like, well, you know, like, maybe you don't want them to be grateful for, like, the stuff that you did because, like, that's a generation that grew up to do, like, their own set of amazing activist things that maybe in some, like, long view of history you laid a lot of groundwork for, but... Maybe it doesn't matter that you feel, you know, that you as an older person really feel that the young kids are on top of it. All that matters is the young kids are actually on top of it. So and so I'm kind of like, Ruth, 
doesn't matter if you don't see it it's happening like whenever i hear like you know these like old second wave feminists say that kind of stuff i'm like hmm i think what you're really trying to say is that you didn't raise a feminist what are your children up to you know if that's the only exposure that they have you know in like say maybe like the new york times and they're not hearing about these stories it just means that the young people that you're around don't care and maybe you have a part to play in that That is really interesting as well, because I was just thinking about Gloria Steinem, also problematic in her own way, but undeniably influential, who doesn't have children and who is someone who is sort of continually saying, like, the kids are all right, the kids are all right. And maybe when you don't have kids of your own who are disaffected by by the movement that you made your life out of um, and all you're doing is hanging out with other people's kids who are super active, like, maybe you feel differently. No, totally, totally. Anyway, giving it up for like college women um, Ugh, who like best. do all of this hard work, and yeah, they're the best. Um, when you and I were at the University of Missouri earlier this year, I was just like, "You are all so much better than I was at this age." <laughs> like you were just like so advanced. I loved it. I mean, I'm gonna be a jerk and say I don't think they were more advanced than me in that age, but they're pretty rad. Okay, fine. Speaking for myself. <laughs> I'm comfortable admitting I was a late bloomer in nearly every respect. So I mean, I was just like, I'm from Europe. Like, I'm not, a, you know, I was like, what? Like, what is happening here? I told you this in my like first feminism class in college when they were like, who here thinks they're a feminist? I was the only person who raised my hand. And the class was like literally like feminism 101. I was dying. I mean, that's because you were in feminism 101. If you had gone to sort of like, you know, like the politics of i don't know whatever something i don't even know what a fake feminist class is because i didn't take any (laughs) i can't even make up a name for like a women's studies class Um, it's always like women and um yeah i don't know like anyway if you'd gone to something more advanced maybe more hands would have gone up as opposed to i don't know but it's like why do you even come to the like why are you even here like you know the class is like easy credits i I don't know man that shit is never easy credits woof anyway I'm saying that's the perception. Anyway. <laughs> it's like, come, anyway, come argue I mean, with women. Easy credit. <laughs> I mean, I love arguing with women. I should have been a women's studies major. <laughs> Maybe this is a good time to talk about menstruation. Yeah, let's talk let's talk about periods. Oh my god. We should talk about this video game that was made by baby feminists. Um yes, these like two baby feminists are the best. And um yeah, I think they're like sixteen or whatever. The game is called Tampon Run. It's great. And uh they coded the whole thing themselves. It's basically like angry birds. But instead of birds, you like launch tampons at your enemies. Like what could be greater? <laughs> Do you pull them still bloody out of your vagina and pull like a, like a riot girl? <laughs> no, I wish. But it's like really cool. I think the game is super clever and it's like very thoughtful. You know, like you, I'm just like really impressed that two, two 16 year olds are just like, like we're like my, like my bleeding's not the problem. Society is the problem. And uh, yeah. Yes. Show, t- take them to a meeting with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Somebody install Tampon Run on her whatever Samsung Galaxy yeah, no. and make her play it. Ruth is definitely rocking a flip phone, like doesn't know how to computer. <laughs> Woof. 
I have not played this game because I don't really play any games ever, but I... That's crazy. I'm going to send you a list of games you should be playing. I mean, I don't know how to tell you this. I don't have time. I don't know how to tell you this. You have time for some of these games. There's a Beyonce game out there right now that will, like, blow your mind. I did play the Kim Kardashian game just so I could understand jokes on the internet. Okay. I, like, when I meant games, I meant, like, games that made your brain stronger. Not, like... (laughs) (laughs) So, like, we're talking, like, numbers and letters. (laughs) I mean, Tampon Run is not a numbers and letters game. Kind of. You have to stay really alert. It's good for hand-eye coordination. It's good for just, like, getting your moral compass together. Yeah, no, it's great. Oh, my God. You know, and then, yeah, no, the best... It's like, yeah, it's like all of these bad guys are trying to steal your tampons, like, and you're trying to stop them. It's great. Speaking of guys trying to steal your tampons, <laughs> the other <laughs> the other this week in menstruation news is my my colleague at the cut, Maureen O'Connor, wrote an article about well, I think it's framed in terms of dudes, but really it's about people who are super into period sex. And I kind of loved it. <laughs> in part because it's, you know, normal body stuff that like my intellectual brain and often like IRL does not gross me out at all but somehow reading quotes about it it was like super super intense I mean it's pretty gnar like in a good way but you know (laughs) I don't know there's it's one of those things too where I think I also have bad Terry Richardson connotations you know like Terry Richardson's well-known obsession with like tampons and all things menstrual has made it in my mind less totally fine than it is (laughs) Yeah, bodies are gross, man, but you got to embrace your, like, body grossness. Do you think it is a relationship, like, fireable offense to say no to period sex? To me, it is. But here (laughs) (laughs) I want to think this through. Well, you know, like, one, I don't think that it's, like, a relation, like, yes, it's, like, relationship problematic, but it's just, yeah, it's... Or whatever, you're cut off from sex if you won't do it with me on my period. Listen, you're not cut off from sex, but you will be heavily reprimanded (laughs) and also made fun of, right? Also, like, here's the thing, you know, maybe this is TMI, period sex is, like, the number one, like, gateway to shower sex, you know? It's like, (laughs) hello, (laughs) like, where... Some would say shower sex is the gateway to period sex. Just saying. <laughs> you know, however you want to. You know how I like love a luxurious tiled <laughs> shower. So, <laughs> so yeah, this is so TMI. But yeah, no, I mean, I think that dudes that make you feel weird about your body, like like fuck them. That's not okay. Like a period is very normal. It's also, you know, like you're the one that's actually going through the bleeding and we're very, you know, it's like from a young age, you just learn to be like really self-conscious about it and having somebody reinforce that even a little bit is not okay. I think that there are really tactful ways to say like, hey, I don't want to like, I don't want to fuck you on your period or I don't, you know, like whatever. I think that it's okay to not You think you can tactfully say, I don't want to fuck you on your period? (laughs) Yes. Not in those words. (laughs) Um, but you know please, what I mean? I think that break it to me tactfully that you don't want to listen, have sex with me. I think that period. if you say, hey, like, this is not for me. <laughs> I've had dudes say that to me. And it's fine. I think that, again, it's all about that ominous word tone. <laughs> and it's all about tone and context, right? It's like how somebody approaches that. Like, if it's everybody has preferences. I'm like, I get it. You know, like, I'm not going near somebody's butt. So it's okay. <laughs> 
we can know, talk we can talk about like the butt like next week because you know that like the butt is back right i was gonna no i was gonna say didn't you once tell me you wanted a pair of juicy couture uh velour pants with context on the butt instead of juicy <laughs> Yes. I'm going to get ones that say tone and we'll just be like. (laughs) (laughs) Just stay open minded, kids. You just you never know. Uh, I mean, you say that and then there's a scene in this article where some guy is looking up at a woman with like a SpaghettiOs mouth situation. And like, (laughs) that's just it just just gets really real, really fast. No, I mean, like it all has to be real, right? Like you can't be like, oh, my God, I want somebody to like eat me out when I'm bloody. And then you like freak out when you see that their face. It's like you got to think the whole thing through. (laughs) Um, Like, Don't be a martyr for the sisterhood. Like, let's context. Um, yeah again like context and tone helpful in like most sexual situations i feel like that we should just end the now while we're on top i know i'm like never gonna be president it's like all of these conversations i'm like i'm just like Teresa heinz carrying myself like nobody will love me when i'm a politician's wife Ugh. I mean, I'm just imagining all of the clips like that the, that have been edited out and are going to be used in the uh, in the ad against you, like the mudslinging campaign. Oh ad. my god, it'll be like my proudest accomplishment. <laughs> it's like... head of the race police. <laughs> Here's the Advocate whitey of tape. Shower sex. <laughs> Listen, don't knock shower sex. Oh. It's um, very hard in a tub, but in an actual stand-up shower, very civilized. Ooh, it's, is it hot in my room? I feel like I'm... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have lost, like, the PG-13 audience. Okay, lady. I mean... Um, on that note, I'm going to finish the second half of my sandwich. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. I hope there's something red on it. <laughs> oh, my God. Stop it. Sriracha um, all over the sandwich. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I should order some sriracha. Okay, probably on Amazon, because I live in San Francisco, and that's how we do groceries. So I think you should tell people where they can find us on the internet. Oh, my gosh. On Twitter, at callyrgf, and at callyourgirlfriend.com, and on iTunes. And uh, you can also email us um, your questions or prompts, things you would like us to discuss, things you would like us not to discuss, like how we feel about period sex. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I think, um, I think it's probably a good idea to just say, see you on the internet. Yeah, just pray about it. Period sex. Pray about it. Um, see you on the internet. Bye, lady. Bye. Wow.